Thank you, Stephanie. I ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians will be in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11 this morning. And as you get there, would you stand with me? And we'll go ahead and read God's Word together. Let's begin in verse 3. Paul says to the believers in Philippi, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ." filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this word. Lord, a a simple prayer for a group of believers in a city that Paul visited for a short time. Lord, thank you for what it teaches us about how we are to pray for one another. Thank you for what it teaches us about how Christian relationships are supposed to work. The bond that is to be built between those who hold the gospel in common. Lord, thank you. Lord, give us a depth of love that Paul, like Paul had, Lord, that would overflow for one another. That we would care this much about one another. That as Paul says, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, that we might also yearn for one another with the affection of Christ Jesus. That we would stand together in the message of grace and of reconciliation through your son Jesus. Lord, please teach us this morning. Holy Spirit, we pray that that you would teach clearly. Lord, that you would give understanding. And that you would transform our lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I didn't mention last week as we began the book of Philippians. But Paul is actually in prison as he writes this letter. There are debates about where Paul might be in prison, but it's likely that he is in Rome. It's likely he's in Rome as he writes this letter. As I said last week, if you were with us, Paul has basically just passed through Philippi. He was kicked out of the city after a few converts, maybe a few more. We don't know exactly how much time he spent there, but we know that it was rather short-lived, his time there. But it's obvious as we read this letter that since his time there, the believers who in Philippi, the few that were converted, however many they were, have continued to live out the gospel and also share the message which he first planted there. And the church has obviously grown to the extent that in the first verses that we see that there are, all, there are already overseers, in other words, pastors, and then there are deacons in place. The church has become rather organized. In, their, in, in the way that they work. And so this church has very much grown. But the question that I want to ask you this morning as we consider this passage is, 
how do you build such a bond, intense relationship that we find in these verses when you simply pass through a town? You hear what Paul says here. He says, I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. You sense that Paul is very emotional about the fact that he's not able to be with these people. But again, Paul passed through Philippi. He was kicked out of Philippi after spending some short season there. What is it that builds such a fond remembrance of these people? So I want to ask you, in your life, what is it about people that causes you to remember them? You know, there are certain people that are just, for lack of a better word, they're just forgettable. You know, that maybe they are boring or something. There are some people who are so boring that you could never forget them, you know. But there's something about certain people that you can, you, you just don't forget them. I'm sure that you've had that experience. But then there's also about something about specific people that when you remember them, it causes you to think certain things, right? What Paul says here is that he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. You see, the process for Paul is he's in prison and he begins to remember these people that he met up with in Philippi, that he built a relationship with in Philippi over some short period of time. And what it automatically causes him to do is to go to God in prayer and to say, thank you for those people. Thank you for those people. What is it about people that causes us to remember them and automatically go to God in prayer? I I think about the people that I remember and that stand out most in my life. I'd like for you to do the same thing. I have memories of friends from high school and some things that we did together. uh, Probably not smart things. And when I remember those things, it doesn't cause me to say, man, thank God, thank you God for them. It, it, It doesn't cause me to think that. So, so what is it about people that causes you not only to remember them, but when you remember them, you begin to just pray and say, God, thank you so much for how you use them in my life. Thank you so much for what those people mean to me, what they continue to mean to me. So Paul, this is the order, he thinks about his friends And then this remembrance immediately leads him to give thanks to God for them. He thanks God for their partnership, specifically in the gospel. And he thanks God that the work in them will continue. Now, a few weeks ago when we talked on prayer, our first study on prayer, we looked at the Lord's Prayer. And as many of you know, this is a prayer, the Lord's Prayer is one that we can repeat, right? This is one many of you have done for much of your life. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's, it's a form prayer that we can use and we can even insert some of our own requests within it. It's kind of a, a model prayer that we can use and then we can use it for our own lives and make it personal. Well... As one commentator says, this prayer is much like that, but it's in the sense that we can use this as a model of how we pray for one another. How we pour out prayers for one another. 
the writer tells us that he, he's writing to the Philippians and he says before talking to the Philippians about some matters that need to be addressed, he's going to talk to God about the Philippians, but he's going to tell them what he's talking to God about for them. So that's what this is. That's kind of complicated, but basically what Paul's going to do is he's using his prayer to God as a foreshadowing of what the rest of this letter is going to be about. And so he's going to pray for them, and in praying for them, he's praying for the things, the specific needs that need to be addressed among them. So we're considering this about remembering one another, and then how we're to pray for one another. And there are just a few things that we want to look at in this prayer. The first thing is we want to see that Paul wanted them to know that he was thankful for them. Paul wanted them to know that he was thankful for them. If you haven't already, I would ask you to open your bulletin and you'll see the folded sheet of white paper there and that should be helpful for you as we walk through this text. The second thing we'll see is that Paul wanted them to know that God would sustain them. And then the third thing we will see is that Paul wanted them to know that he expected growth and he tells them specifically where he is praying for them to grow. Let's look at these things together Paul wanted them to know that he was thankful for them. But he also wanted them to know specifically where he was thankful for them. We all, you know, when someone comes up and they compliment us, you know, we want to say, tell me more about that. You know, it helps us to know exactly why people are thankful for us. And and sometimes it's not so much so that we can get the big head and feel good about ourselves. But sometimes it's so that we know well, how am I being used and how am I being helpful? This is what happens if you're, you know, being um, talked about with a job. If, you've, if someone brings you in and they do a job review and they tell you, you're doing good, go ahead. Well, is that very helpful? <laughs> not, not so much. And so what you want to hear is, what am I doing well and what am I not doing so well? And so Paul wants them to know not only that he's thankful for them, but he wants them to know exactly where he's thankful for them. And look at what he says. This is in verses 3 through 5. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. And here it is, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. You see, the Philippians, the people of Philippi, were united with Paul in the message of the gospel. Paul came and he preached to them, Jesus Christ crucified, salvation By grace, through faith. And this is the message that the people of Philippi accepted and carried on within their city. Now, you need to know in order to compare that Paul isn't always this happy when he begins to write letters to people. Listen to this from Galatians, and these verses are in your notes. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 6-9, through This is normally where Paul would write his prayer of thanksgiving. But listen instead to what he says. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. 
Is this the same spirit as Paul writes in Philippians? Not at all. You see, what Paul is so grateful for about the believers in Philippi is that they are united with him in the same message. You know, there's those people that you just kind of connect with. Well, it's very important for Paul. The people he connects with are those who accept the central message that salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And that is the message that they live. And so Paul is so grateful because there are those who want to distort that message. Let's be very clear. There are those who want to take that message and just tweak it a little bit, make it a little bit better. But what Paul wants to say is that message can't get better. That's the only message. And so Paul is united with these people and he's grateful for them because they are united in the gospel from the first day until now. And so once they receive it, what Paul says in this phrase from the first day until now, they received it and immediately they began to live it. There was repentance from the first day and immediately their lives were changed and they began to serve the Lord and there were visible displays of their service to the Lord. And then to this day, they're continuing to live it. They're continuing to to grow. So first there's this they're just united in the message, but it's also that they're they're living the message. So Paul is going to say later in the letter, later in the letter in Philippians 4:14 4, through 19. If you can turn over to those verses, chapter 4 verses 14 through 19 there were also visible displays of their being united in the gospel they've supported paul monetarily as he's tried to do missions in other areas philippians 4:14 4, through 19 Remember that Paul's prayers are foreshadowing of what the rest of the letter is about. So he says in these verses later in chapter 4, It was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, when he was kicked out, no church entered into partnership with me in giving receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. See what Paul is saying? Your giving to me is a display of the work of God that's going on inside of you. So he's saying, I seek the work that is for your credit, the fruit. He says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You see, what the believers at Philippi have done, if they've accepted the same message of Paul, as Paul, but then they've begun to live it out in these incredible ways, sacrificing of their own needs and giving to Paul and to his ministry so that he can carry the gospel to other lands and other areas. And what Paul is saying is, I see this fruit in you and it brings me great joy. So that Paul is in prison, yet he, in some sense, doesn't feel alone. Because there are people who are united in this message. What's even more incredible is that, you know, Paul is receiving persecution for this message. He's in prison. And what he's going to say is that the Philippians also have endured persecution for the sake of the ministry. For the sake of the gospel. He says in verse 7, 
It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You know what brings Paul such joy about these people is that they don't run when the task gets hard. They don't turn their backs when it gets dangerous. When it might come at a price. They don't run from it. When it requires personal sacrifice that affects them, they don't run from it, but they keep going with Him. Listen to chapter 1, verse 29. Again, that foreshadowing of what Paul is going to say later. In verse 29, Paul says to them, It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. This is what brought Paul such joy about these people. They were united with Him in every single aspect of the gospel of living out the message of Jesus. They don't give up. They don't turn in fear. But they sacrifice willingly at the expense of their own lives. What it might, whatever it might cost them. They don't give up. They don't give up. And so this is what brings Paul such joy. They persevere in the ministry of the gospel. I wonder if your partnership in the message of Jesus in the gospel brings this kind of joy to anyone. I would like you to think about this personally. Is there any person that you have this type of connection with in the gospel? The way that you work for it and live it out, the message of Jesus, it brings others this joy like Paul had. I think this is a question that we need to ask. And I think spiritual gifts are very significant here. Let me illustrate in a couple of ways. Just a couple of weeks ago, I had the chance to go on a pastor's retreat to West Virginia. And while we were there, there were only two guys from the retreat that I knew. There weren't a lot of us, but I only knew two of them. And I thought we were going to, you know, a bunch of guys getting together. We're probably going to eat sandwiches the whole time. I wasn't sure what the meal plans were. But with a bunch of guys together, it's usually pretty basic. But there was a man who came who was not a pastor, but he had just taken off work for that week. And he cooked for us every meal every day. And not only did he cook for us, but he also, we'd get done and we'd start, you know, I thought, well, we'll try to, we'll clean the dishes or they'll just stay that way until, the, until we leave or something like that. We'll use paper towels. This is what guys would do typically. But the, we would take the dishes over and he would spend his whole time cleaning dishes than getting more meals ready. This is what he did the entire time. And you know what? He, he wasn't, you know, like most guys are cleaning dishes, you know, breaking dishes and things like that. He enjoyed it. This was his gift. His gift was hospitality. And we ate so well. It was oh, so good. And then he was just a joy to be around. And his gift was hospitality. We would say thank you for you know, this sacrifice. And he would say thank you for feeding us spiritually. I'll feed you physically. And this was just his gift. This is what he loved to do. And this is the way that he served in the ministry of the gospel. Yes, he had his job that he did most weeks. But he took off and this is the way that he desired to serve. Another one in our own body. And I told Mr. AJ that I was going to share this, and he probably won't like it. He would never want me to do this. Mr. AJ is retired, 
but he comes up to the church probably four day, four days a week, or almost maybe every day of the week, maybe more than me, and works, and works. He he repairs whatever's going on on campus, whatever needs there are. He repairs them, and this is what he does. And he serves for our body, and this is his way of participating in the gospel and in the ministry of the gospel. You see what we're saying here? It's, it's how you use your, your gifts, whatever those gifts may be. Your gifts may be entirely different. There's a, there are a variety of gifts within the body, and this is the way that God has designed it. But the question is, are you using your gift, whatever that may be, for the benefit of the gospel and for the partnership of the gospel? Do you, bring, do you bring this much joy to people because you're being faithful to the Lord using what He's given you to serve Him? I could mention a, just a host of others in our body that do things to serve here at Crosspoint and use their, their gifts. And none of them are the same. They're all different. But that's, that's the body of Christ. God has gifted us differently to serve some of you in your, in your job, you're the only person who can do that. And so you benefit the church as you serve in your job in some way. And so I hope this isn't meant to beat anyone down, but it is meant to encourage and to push you. Are you partnering for the gospel? Are you partnering? So Paul wanted the believers in Philippi to know that he was Deeply thankful for them. This is a deep gratitude. I hope you see just how, how emotional Paul is in this, but at the same he's emotionally healthy. It's, it's just he cares for these people so much because they've done so much, because they are participants together in the work of the Lord. He wanted them to know that he was thankful for them. I hope that today you can extend that thanks to moms. Moms, we want you to know that we're thankful for you. For how you've served the Lord through your gifts and your ministry to us. Extending from Paul's prayer of thanksgiving. Extending from that is this certainty he has about their future. Now, look at this closely. Paul wanted them to know that God would sustain them. Paul has seen the work of God in them and how that's overflowed. That's overflowed through these, this visible fruit they've given to Paul. They've given material things to support his ministry. But then they've also endured persecution. And Paul looks at these things and he says, I see the work of God in you and I want you to know that what God has started, He will finish. Look at these verses with me. Verse 6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So first, Paul wants to show us the invisible work and remind them of the invisible work that's happened in them. You see, this is what we believe about salvation, that it's God who works in us to bring us to repentance and to faith in him. 
Paul's going to highlight this a little bit more later. Philippians 2.13. It's God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. You see, what Paul is saying is, those visible displays that are coming out, I see those, and what that tells me is that God has started something in you. That God has brought you to repentance, and that has changed your life. You see, sometimes we, we think the visible things, that's us. But what Paul wants to say is the visible things, it's just proof of what God has done. It's just proof of what God has done. This is the tension that we want always to keep within the Scriptures. That yes, we are to obey God. We are to live out the faith that He has given us. But even when we do it, that's God doing it. You get that? And so, if you ask me, is it me being obedient? I would say yes. But then you'd ask me, well, is it God doing it? Or is it me doing it? And I would say, yes. It's both. You get it? It's, on the outside, it's you. Yes, be obedient. Don't wait for God to come and prod you. Just be obedient. But the beautiful thing is, that's always God working in you when you're obedient. And so, Paul says to them, I'm sure of this. God, He began the invisible work in you, and He will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He wants to give them this affirmation, this assurance. He wants them to be confident. Yes, God's, He started that work in you, and what you need to know is that God is faithful, and He will finish it. He will finish it. Listen, the work, it, didn't de- it, it starting didn't depend on you, and it finishing doesn't depend on you. Yes, you're to be obedient, but remember, that's always God working in you. And so this is the affirmation that Paul wants to give them. It is God. It's His grace displaying itself in your life. And there's the visible proof. So the invisible work of God, it's God bringing your heart to repentance. But then there's the visible proof. How does Paul know that God has worked in their lives? How is this so evident And Paul says in verse 7, it's right, it's justified that I would be so confident about your salvation. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. He's thinking about them constantly. And he says, for you're all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Listen, grace in this case is not just the, yes, I've, I've prayed to receive Jesus and he's forgiven me of my sins. But Paul says grace in this case is the participation in the gospel which means suffering in his imprisonment and in the confirmation the defense of the gospel you see living in the gospel living in Christ it's work it's effort it's blood sweat and tears It's all of these things. And so Paul says, the reason I can be so confident about God's work in you and that that will come to completion is because of your participation in the gospel, the visible fruit. The visible fruit. And so this is something we always want to assert. And this is something I've said multiple times from the pulpit, and I don't mean to beat a dead horse, so so to speak, but... If your life doesn't display the fruits of the gospel, of Jesus' work in your life, what is it that makes you think that you have the gospel? 
and that you know Jesus. This is what gives us confidence that God is working in our lives. This is the question I always want to ask myself. Do I sense conviction on a daily basis? Do I repent before the Lord? And do I change? And if those things aren't happening, then I need to be concerned about my relationship with the Lord. I need to be concerned. You know, it is a beautiful thing to have the work of God affirmed into our lives. And it's a beautiful thing to affirm others and to encourage them. But it's also dangerous. Because it's a claim that we know what God's doing. So it's possible in this case to give a false sense of assurance to others. You know, Paul, the reason he's able to be so confident, again, is because he sees grace working in these people's lives. He sees fruit. And so I I want to encourage you, if there are people who ever come to you and they talk about struggling with their salvation, then don't ask them, did they pray a prayer when they were younger? Ask them, do you sense conviction? When's the last time you repented? When's the last time that you saw transformation in your life? You see, this is what the Bible wants to teach us and Paul wants to teach us. Affirmation comes through fruit, through transformation. This is how we know that God has saved us, that our lives are being changed. So Paul, he wants them to know that he's thankful for them and he wants them to know that God will sustain them. He wants them to know that he sees fruit in their lives and that this is evidence of God's grace and that not only that, but that God will carry that on to completion, to the day of Jesus Christ. We don't know what's going to happen between now and the day of Jesus Christ. It could get more difficult. The persecution could get more severe. And so what Paul wants to say to them is God will be faithful and he will sustain you. The third Final point, God wants them to know that he expects growth. God wants them to know that he expects growth. And this is where we see Paul's prayer of petition. You know, he's thanked God for them, but he also wants to tell them, this is what I continue to pray for you. Verse 9, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Now, this is the main thing he prays for. So if you want to write, you're taking notes, this is the main thing he prays for that your love may abound more and more. This is the main thing. Your love would overflow. That you'll grow in love. But then, it's a type of love. And this is where we we have to get specific, talk a little further. With knowledge and all discernment. So this is the type of love. It's a love that has knowledge and that is full of discernment. And then that you may approve what is excellent. This is why I'm praying these things for you, so that you might be able to approve what's excellent, what's good. And so, for the final purpose, that you'll be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, ultimately to the glory and praise of God. This is the main purpose. Why do we do anything to the glory and praise of God? So, let's look at 
what he prays for, for them, that their love will grow, it'll abound more and more. Why would he pray this? Why would this be Paul's specific concern? Because love is the supreme Christian virtue. It's a reflection of God himself. Whom, God, whom John describes. John, you remember First John when he says, God is love? You see, if we want to talk about love, the first place we need to go is to the one who is love. It, John says he is the embodiment of love. And so when we abound more and more in love, we abound more and more in God. These can't be separated. It's important because it means if we want to grow in love and understand love, then there's only one place to look, and that is to God. Now, this love is to be uh, with knowledge, right? Paul says, with knowledge and all discernment. Let's look at these separately, with knowledge. First, we look to God for this, right? He's the one who created knowledge. He is the creator. We want to grow more and more in knowledge of God who is love. And if there's one passage that I want to mention particularly for today, for your encouragement, it's John 1.14. John 1.14. This is in your notes. It says, The Word became flesh, this is Jesus, and dwelt among us, and we have seen His, his glory, at the glory as of the only Son, from the Father, Father, full of grace and truth. You see, when Jesus came, this is what he wants to teach us, is this combination of being gracious, but also being truthful. Jesus, Jesus, God, he is the epitome of truth. Of all truth. Colossians speaks to this as well. But he combines truth with graciousness. This is what's so beautiful for us. That he doesn't just speak the truth harshly always to us, but he combines grace with truth and he forgives us, speaks truth into our lives graciously so that he might also transform us into his likeness. We're going to hit this a little bit more in just a second. But also, not just knowledge, we look to God for that knowledge. We learn more about God, we learn more about His Son so that our love might grow in knowledge. But then discernment. This discernment, it's, it's moral. It's to approve the excellent moral thing. You see, perfect love is concerned with what's right and what's wrong. 1 Corinthians 13.6, I can think of no better passage to tell us this. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And here's the problem if we try to go a different direction with love. You see, love without knowledge and without discernment is merely sentiment. It's merely emotion. It's brain synapses. We're just, something's going on up here and it just, you just feel something. That's love without knowledge and discernment. But it's not sustainable. There's no motivating force behind that love. How long will that love last? Well, as long as the brain is working the same way. When the feelings are gone, love's replaced by apathy, a lack of concern, whatever it may be. And it's a sad state when our culture respects that notion of love more than a love that is filled with knowledge and discernment. And so I want to encourage you. This is a a, a word, love, that we use so flippantly in our lives. We love our dogs. We love tacos. And then we love God. 
is there any difference between those loves? We love our wives, we love our husbands, and is there any difference there between those types of love? And I want to show you why this is so important. And I, and I don't mean to get on a soapbox here, but I want to make sure Christians understand this, that we understand this. I, I, do, I want to respectfully disagree with our president this morning, and I, and I don't want to be harsh, but I, I think this is important, again. And I want to offer some helpful comments. I want to do this because the, the scriptures were used to defend a decision this week. And this is why I want to make sure it's understood. It was in the face section of the newspaper that I read this morning. The use of scripture to defend the decision this week to support homosexual marriage. This is why it's important. How are you using the scripture? He referenced his understanding of the biblical passage, treat others as you would wish to be treated, as justification for this. And it's understandable, because if we understand love to be simply sentimentality, a mere emotion, then we'll take this to mean that we should give people what they want. If love is emotion, then that means, in just sentimentality, then by loving them, you give them what they desire. But this is the problem. When we understand Christian love to be about grace and about truth, John 1, right? Jesus was full of grace and truth. Then we desire to speak truth into people's lives in a kind and generous way. Knowing that giving them what they want in this case is the worst thing for them and for a host of other people. Now, let me say this as well. Christians, don't be a bigot. I I was in a class one time with a guy who happened to be sexually oriented in this way, whatever you want to say, and was also an atheist. And he started talking to some guys who claimed to be Christians, and they said, you don't believe in God? You're such an idiot. (laughs) Well, well, I mean, they just started lining up from there. Well, how do I get saved? I'm ready. You know, I'm an idiot. Okay. Grace and truth, friends. Grace and truth. This is how we are to be like Christ. Grace and truth. But please understand what love is. Love is of God. It's filled with truth. It is who God is. And so you can't take love to be whatever you want it to be. Love is from God. It's of God. And it is of truth. So, these last portions. He says, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So you might be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Paul seems to have consistently been concerned that people would grow spiritually lazy and fall short of the fruitfulness that God had called them to. Listen to Colossians 1, verses 22 to 23. You were at one time strangers and enemies in your minds, as expressed through your evil deeds, but now He has reconciled you by His physical body through death to present you holy, without blemish, and blameless before Him. But catch this, if indeed you remain in the faith, established and firm, without shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. 
I don't think that Paul's concern is that they would lose their salvation. I think his concern is that they would kind of show signs of being a believer, but then they would grow spiritually lazy, they would quit, and they would show that they never were really a believer. They never really were of the flock. They were like the person that Jesus spoke of when the seed hits some soil, but it's not rich soil. It grows up fast and then it's burned and it doesn't last. Maybe the pleasures of the world chokes it. Paul seems to be concerned that we would not grow weary, that we would endure, so that any day when Jesus comes, we would be pure and blameless. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What Paul is encouraging in these believers is that they would catch this balance that they are to endure in the faith, but it is always God who is working in them to help them endure. So Christian, I want to ask you this morning, how are you not walking in the faith, partnering in the gospel with the church, with the body of God's people. Are there any things in your, anything in your life that's keeping you from doing that? Is there, is there sin? When's the last time you repented and you sensed transformation in your life? There are many of you, there are all of you, just give thanks for that you are partners in the gospel in this way. I wonder for you, is there anyone that means this much to you because of their partnership in Christ? Do you have friends like this that you feel this deeply about? And we started with saying, Paul just passed through Philippi. How did he remember them in such a deep way? It's because they didn't just play a game together, watch a movie together. They participated in the gospel together. This is what forms deep bonds in us. When we spend time praying together. When we spend time working together for the sake of the gospel. Whether it's Baton Rouge or whether it's somewhere else. This is what builds bonds. This is what helps us feel this deeply about one another. When we share one another's burdens. We pray for one another in this way. See one another repent of sin and turn. So I wouldn't challenge you. This is a challenge to Christians. Participate in the gospel. Be participating. It's not a lone ranger thing. It's together. And if there's anyone in here that would say you you haven't repented of your sins or maybe there's not fruit in your life and so you're wondering, am I really a believer? would love to talk with you about that. I'm going to invite Stephanie to come forward. I want to give you some time just to ponder and we'll be out and you can go to Mother's Day lunch and wait for 30 minutes. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace. Lord, that you display in our lives and in the work that you produce. Father, we don't want to put confidence in ourselves as if that's from us. But that is a temptation sometimes. And so we pray that you would help us, Father, to grasp this invisible truth that it is your Holy Spirit who works in us to produce repentance and then to transform us and make us into such a new creation. 
Father. Lord, help us to grow in a love that is filled with truth. Lord, that works itself out in the world, speaking truthfully about matters, Lord, that are so controversial. But help us to be like Jesus, filled with grace and truth, to speak kindly to others. Father, to be the salt, the light that you have called us to be in a decaying generation. Thank you that you will be with us and that you will sustain the work you start in us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.